Coming to you from the greatest city in the world, this is the number one showbiz podcast. It's Talk for Two. Here's your host, Matt Bailey. Thank you, Gary. Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of Talk for Two. Today, my guest is somebody who's had an amazing career behind the scenes in Hollywood. You might not know his name or even his work, but this gentleman knows that industry like the back of his hand. Gary Rosen is a veteran publicist who has had his hand in multiple projects over the years. He was also a journalist and writer for a number of high-profile magazines, many of which we talk about in this interview. We hit on what goes on when you have to put a publicity campaign together for a huge national franchise. He is meticulous and detail-oriented, but most of all, passionate about his work. And no, I'm not going to tell you which huge daytime franchise. You have to listen to find out. Rosen, also an industry crisis manager, digs into the Me Too movement with me in a very respectful manner, of course. And he gives us his thoughts on where Hollywood will go after being put through those harrowing stories of harassment and abuse and how those stories have permanently changed this industry. Plus, we discuss the coronavirus pandemic and why the media may not be helping matters as we begin the road to recovery. Here now to tell us where the entertainment industry goes from here in this crazy time in the world, our interview with Gary Rosen. Gary Rosen, welcome to Talk for Two, my friend. How are you, sir? Doing well, Matt. Thanks for having me. Now, you are holed up in uh, Florida for the coronavirus. How is it down there? They're reopening, but they're seeing spikes in cases. Uh, what are you seeing down there? Right now, I'm seeing a beautiful lake. <laughs> Good. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a very, um, it's a funky time uh, mm-hmm. in this world, and uh you know, there's so many thoughts and there's so many uh, theories on what to do and what not to do. And I think that it's important to listen to uh, the experts, but it's also important to listen to your gut. Yeah. Uh, I think without question, you know, washing your hands and, and keeping a safe distance and not touching, those are all givens. Mm-hmm. Having said that, what you do beyond that is what's your comfort level. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you want to go out uh, to eat dinner, you know, and you feel you can do that safely, that's up to you. Uh, would I go to a, a you know, when over the, now it's a, several months ago uh, or a few months ago, Memorial Day weekend with, with a crowded, you know, hundreds of people in a pool area. I wouldn't personally, and I think that that was a, a potentially a setback, but uh, for a lot of people, and I, you know, that that wouldn't be my choice. But I think it's going to be, uh, you know, there's some new expressions out there that are becoming uh, regular expressions daily. The the new normal, you know, yeah. I don't know what new is, and I don't know what normal is anymore, but it certainly affected our. Um, production lives in los angeles that's for sure yeah now that's uh that's that's crazy it's coming back what are you hearing out of los angeles what are you hearing about how they're going to do it because they have some some weird weird ideas about how they're going to do it and i'm not sure that all of that's going to work what say you what are you hearing 
it changes. It changes uh, daily. There's just so many things that need to be mm-hmm. things you would never think twice about now yeah. have to be thought about. You know, if you're on a on a lot, okay, you have to think about everyone coming on and off that lot. You know, so now you're talking about temperature checks. You're talking about testing. How often do you get tested? Where do you get tested? You know, are you going onto a soundstage? Are you being tested off the soundstage? Are you, um, if you test positive, does that affect the whole production if you don't walk on there? Or, you know, how are you going to social distance if you are taping? What, you know, and it depends what kind of show you're taping. Shows that require, or not even require, but featured an audience, a studio audience. Well, if everything has to be six feet apart, how are you going to have that audience? Are you going to have less of an audience? Mm-hmm. There are unions involved. I mean, I could keep going with this. And it's it's just things that you wouldn't normally ever have to think about. Yeah. But now everybody has to think about it. And uh, it's going to evolve. Yeah. You know, on the phone today with producers. And uh, it's much tougher than anyone would have thought because it's new it's just like this this virus mm-hmm. and it's new to everybody uh and as much as even the experts quote unquote know about the virus there's still so much that we don't know well you work in television sorry to interrupt but you bring up a good point yeah. you work in television and we'll get to your career in a, in a few minutes here but what I'm noticing on cable news and on, on news in general is there's this unnecessary politicization. Uh, they're, they're turning it into politics. I can't talk today. They're making it political. And I mean, uh, medical experts are giving their political opinion based on their partisan viewpoints. Is this a byproduct of television gone wild? Why are we getting differing opinions in our media about something that should be very straightforward and and united. This is not a Democrat-Republican issue. This is a medical issue so that no matter what side of the aisle you fall on, we can get back to our life. Why are we seeing such politically differing opinions in the medical sphere of analysis of this virus? Well, that's a very good way of putting it, and I wish I knew the answer to it. I think our daily lives have become way too political. Yeah. And uh, that is a very good example of it, and it absolutely should not, no matter where you fall politically, this is something that is affecting every one of us. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it has no... Uh, you know, it used to be if you were over 65 or 70, you know, those are the people that it affects. It doesn't affect. But now that that is all changing. Stats have come out that one third of the people now are under 30. Who knows? But the bottom line is, if, if you did, if you did a I don't know that anyone's done a research study. Well, let's see what percentage of the people that it's affected are Democrat and what percent are Republicans. This doesn't have that kind of uh, uh these results, I think. So I think that it should never have gotten political or continue to be political. And so I don't know that there's an answer to that, but I think that that has become systemic of so many things going on. Mm -hmm. And and it's unfortunate. It really is unfortunate. And uh, I wish that it, it wasn't that way. 
Well, you work in television, but you, you kind of do a mixed bag of things. So let's go back to the beginning of your career. How did you get started working in Tinseltown in television? What, uh, what was the inroad for you to have the career that you've had? When I was growing up, I wanted to be an actor. Really? As some people did. But I knew since I was seven years old that I was going to be in television. I was a very focused little kid and and to some people probably annoying. But uh, (laughs) focused and and, uh, precocious. And uh, when I was seven years old, I was at Universal Studios with my mother, and I was handpicked to be a guest star during a a, a show, uh, like for the for the um, theme park. And they said, "Oh, would you like to be a a, a, a guest star on this little thing?" Mm-hmm. Sure. So all I did was they introduced me at the end or towards the end and I came out and I don't I don't even remember exactly what I did but it wasn't any big deal and they gave me this gold gold key and they said you can take the gold key and you can go to the gift shop and you can get anything you want out of the gift shop you know and like a big stuffed animal so I go to the gift shop and they said, what would you like, uh, little seven-year-old Gary? And I said, I would like, I hand them the key, and I said, take me to meet Lucille Ball. And they go, what? No, you can have any stuffed animal. <laughs> I said, I want to meet Lucille Ball. And they all looked at me like I was out of my mind. Well, I didn't meet Lucille Ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I knew from that moment that I was going to be in, in television. And I mean, Lucy was, uh, you know, she wasn't even on. I mean, you know, <laughs> but they had like a studio tour of Lucy's dressing room or something like that. She had since retired, you know, from her shows anyway. But uh, I started as a um, writer and a, a journalist for different ma- as an editorial assistant for different magazines. And uh, and then was, you know, wrote my dream was to write for TV Guide. And at 24 years old, I was writing articles for TV Guide and uh, as a freelancer. And I thought, oh, my God, this is like a dream come true. Who fulfills their dreams at 24 years old? Right. Only one place to go down, Matt. Only, it's my, <laughs> only one place to go, Matt, down. Yeah. No, just kidding. But so I was with different publications. And then a couple went out of business. And I heard about an opening at a PR firm, never thinking about PR, never taking a single course in PR. Uh, And I tried it out part time, started working on television shows. One thing led to another, started working with uh, Geraldo Rivera was the first. I worked for a small agency and they had Geraldo Rivera, Joan Rivers, and a program called A Current Affair. Yep. And... That's how I started. And then I went to another firm and worked on other shows, moved up as the VP and then uh, opened my own firm. I can't even believe it. It's 20 years ago. Wow. Unbelievable. And so I've worked on 20, more than 25 syndicated television programs. And you are not old whatsoever. You are not, you are, you did all of this mostly before you were 30, I would imagine, which is just a testament to what hard work can do. Now, the question that we're tap dancing around is that you 
you are PR. You do work on one of the most famous daytime TV shows on Earth. How did that come to you? How did you get involved with Judge Judy? Well, I would I would venture to say one of the most famous on Earth. That's true. <laughs> That's very nice. I actually, originally, my first client for my own firm was the People's Court. Mm. And I handled it when it was with Judge Judy's husband, Judge Jerry Scheinlin. And when I was interviewing, not even interviewing, I was with, uh, when I went to the apartment, their apartment, to um, meet him for the first time, she was there. And ever since that first meeting, we got along. And uh, she gave me some tests along the way when I was his publicist, I think, to see if I passed the tests. And uh, we, you know, after a couple of years, he retired. And then she and I, uh, you know, connected over that period of time. And uh, she made me an offer to uh, become uh, her show's publicist. And uh, I have been with her ever since. We're coming up on uh, 19 years, something, yeah, close to 19 years as we enter our 25th season, silver anniversary. Oh, my gosh. Just remarkable. She's extraordinary. She's not only extraordinary as as one of the most successful television personalities, as you mentioned, ever, Mm -hmm. but she is extremely um, savvy as a businesswoman and uh, a wonderful person as a uh, uh, wife, mother, grandmother, and uh, friend. She's really um, the best. You know, I know you didn't want to go too inside baseball, but I do want to know what kind of PR needs to be done for a show that needs no introduction. What you always want to do with what I do is you have to be very cognizant of the brand that you're promoting and publicizing. Mm -hmm. And I am very protective of her brand. Uh, And obviously, so is she, because the name is the program. She is the program. Obviously, you know, her, she has help with, you know, she has producers that surround her. She is an amazing executive producer who is also her director. And as she has said, it takes a village to put on her program, but she is the program. And so my role is to protect that brand. And when you say everybody comes to me, some people come to me and some people uh, I pursue. So it really depends what we're looking to do and how we're looking to do it and when we're looking to do it. Uh, For instance, the 25th season, I'll have, once we know when we're going back and how we're going back, I will put a plan in place to publicize the program and its star the way that makes sense for the way that we would want to roll out that publicity and where we would want it to be and how we would want it to be. Mm-hmm. Whether it's in print, whether it's on television, on different programs, whether it's with a uh, wire service, uh, wh- whatever it may be, it's it's very strategic. Mm-hmm. And I people 
necessarily realize what's involved with that. And you have to be, it's not just doing, uh, nothing. It's, it's, it's very, um, brand specific. A lot of people's philosophy with PR is any PR is good PR. I don't subscribe to that theory at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes it's what you don't see too with, uh, with clients and shows and things of that nature. So you really need to, to pick and choose and, uh, and what's good for, for, uh, a Judy may not be good for a, if I was handling her an Oprah, which may not be good for an Ellen, which may be good for, um, somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. When did you become passionate about that process? About when did you know it was something you did extraordinarily well is is make these plans, make them tailored, get the people you want to get, let the people who come to you come to you. And and that process that you just described, when did you find this passion for it? Because you're very good, very, very good at doing it. So when did that become, of all the things that you've done, the thing you started to focus on and loved? I have run my life like that. Really? Anything that I have ever done, I have been extremely passionate about, or I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think I learned that early on from my mother growing up, uh, that being passionate about what you do is very important. Judy has a line, which is, paraphrasing do what you are naturally adept at and do it well uh years ago i was on as a call-in guest on tom snyder's radio show some of your uh, listeners will know who he is i would hope many he was a brilliant broadcaster and had a show called tomorrow which followed the tonight show. And then he was brought back by David Letterman to do uh, the late, late show, which now James Corden has that time period. Mm-hmm. Masterful interviewer. And I, and I said to him, I was calling in on his very first radio show um, or one of them. And when I was a college student, and I said, you know, people, some people say I'm too focused, you know, because I know I want television. I know I want journalism at that time, not PR. I said, what would you say to that? And he said, don't listen to any of them. Go with your passion and you will be successful. Please, please believe me. And I never lost sight of that. A year year and a half after that call-in, I was interviewing Tom Snyder. So I think it's very important to also visualize things and make them happen. But uh, I was always passionate. I was I was passionate about real estate, and mm. I always have been. And I helped my mother. We were looking for a house when I was 13 years old, and multiple listings used to be in books before they were online. I would get the book from the realtor. I would go through it. I would circle them, and I'd say, "Show us this house. Show us that house." I'm telling you, precocious, 13 years old, in the backseat of a Lincoln, a Gloria Coletti's Lincoln Continental. Show <laughs> us this house. And we ended up buying that house. And when I was 18 years old, my mother and I went together to get uh, our residential real estate licenses because I knew that I needed to do something 
to earn enough money to help me go through college, uh, that would be just different than being a server, you know, just because I was passionate about real estate. And you want to know something, Matt? I still have my license. Do you still practice real estate? Do you still do? do you I have st- it. I mean, if people need something or whatever, if I'm buying something, but it's something that, I, you know, I just keep it just because well you it's just, it's just because i've enjoyed i just enjoy real estate i don't really do it mm-hmm. but i enjoy having it it's just fun i love that Actually, i don't need it you know, but so it's just a passion so when judy ends next year what are you going to do what what are you going to what's going to focus where are the winds going to take you i know you have her other show hot bench under that umbrella but when when she goes away are you going to stay involved with whatever she does or are you going to move on as well oh you didn't hear no oh yeah i'm taking over the uh, talk for two franchise <laughs> and i'm moving to anchorage yeah oh no i can't believe the word that <laughs> Breaking news. Gary. Oh, uh, hey, if you want to go in business together, we could talk about that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's really amazing. Uh, oh, my gosh. Well, we have another episode with you coming up here. I wanted to, I wanted our fans to get to know you and, and your amazing career because we have an episode that I will be airing next week with the one and only Patrick Duffy from uh, Dallas that uh, – I we were talking about another interview and I mentioned it offhand and we got to talking and all of a sudden I found out you were a big Dallas fan and I said you have to do this show with me so thank you very much. Well, that was fun. You know, I again you you talk about passion. Right. When I went to PR, I said you know I have a feeling I might miss because I love doing celebrity interviews and I did a bunch of them. Uh, you know, I interviewed Oprah, I interviewed Joan Rivers, I interviewed Carol Burnett, I interviewed Merv Griffin, I interviewed some real, you know, biggies. And I said, you know, I, I have a feeling I might miss that. How am I going to fill that void? So what I started to do when I was doing PR is I started to do radio. Yeah. Much like what you're doing. And, and I started to do radio all across the country. And talking about entertainment and talking about stories that we had coming up on one of the shows that I worked on called um, Hard Copy. And uh, I would, uh, you know, do our, do some of those stories. And then I segued into doing television on E! and CNN and, and Fox in terms of entertainment and crisis management. So I've always kept my hand in that as well. You know, I, I do some college classes, just one-offs, because I've never mm-hmm. really wanted to teach a course. And people say, what, what's the best advice you can give us? And I said, to be multifaceted, to be able to do many, to have an expertise, yeah. but to be able to do many different things and be good at them. And I, And again, I'm extremely passionate about television and radio and speaking and doing all that. So I'm thankfully... Right. I've been asked to do it. Well, it's interesting you mentioned the crisis management side because I want to I I want to I don't want to touch on what you do specifically because I know you don't talk about it, but I do have a I want you to put on your crisis manager cap for a second and talk to me a little bit about this Me Too movement that's been roiling Hollywood and the music industry. From where I sit, due process is out the window. And I mean, it started 
in my feelings, it started nobly, and now you see these cases and they play out. I'm not talking about anybody that's under suspicion or has been arrested right now, like Amario Batali or the guy from that 70s show who was just arrested. I'm talking about the cases that are playing out where they were so-called canceled, and then what they were put under the microscope for, and I'm going to curse on this show, something I rarely do, was proven to be complete bullshit. Like this Aziz Ansari thing. Yeah, the woman, this was a couple of years ago. Yeah, that woman might have been uncomfortable, but the way they tried to cancel him was unwarranted and he's starting to come back a little bit. So I think it's good that we examine it and we kind of push the pause button, but there doesn't seem to me to be any sort of, it just goes away, this canceling. What do you make of this this cancel culture, Gary? And what would you advise a client who's experiencing this and it's just destroying their world. It's a very interesting question and topic, and it's a very slippery slope. It is. I totally agree about someone like NC Sorry, uh, yeah. a comedian. That was a bad date. Yeah. Okay. That was a what, what is called a bad date, and uh, everyone's had them. And what he was put through was, uh, and again, maybe someone else is out there on a different level, but what, what, the, what the accusations of what we're talking about was a bad date. Someone like a Harvey Weinstein uh, mm. is a whole different ballgame. Absolutely. It's a whole different ballgame. So to, so to put everyone, and that 70 show you're talking about, Danny Masterson. Yes. You know, that that. At the time of, of us recording this, those charges had just uh, uh, come out officially. There were, I believe, three of them. So that has to uh, continue those, you know, to see where those go. Everyone is entitled to a, should be entitled to a fair trial. And that's what this system is all about. And the Me Too, and look, the, the, even the Matt Lauer story has come back into everybody's lives again. Uh, I think that each case needs to be handled on its own. I think the Me Too movement and was very important. Absolutely. Very important. And yeah. I don't think either of us are, are saying that it isn't. But no. I think that it's extremely important for people who are guilty to get a fair trial and to be uh, and if they are guilty to pay the price and serve the time if that's how it goes. Mm -hmm. But in terms of, I think cancel culture is, is a problem in itself, to yeah. tell you the truth. And I think that um, <laughs> I promised myself I'd be careful. So uh, I think that you just have to be honest. Mm-hmm. Just really be honest. I, I hate to say you don't want to. You never know where you're going to be and which side of something you're going to be on. But if you're always honest, then you never have to worry about that. Exactly. Exactly. And what I will add to what you said is not only was the Me Too movement important, I think when these murkier cases come up of what really happened, and yeah, there might be hurt feelings, and somebody may have been made uncomfortable. 
and it was a bad date, like you say, I think when those get blown up in the media, I think it harms the people who really have a case because then it becomes a, a case of, of crying wolf. And you don't want that. You want the cases that are real, the Harvey Weinsteins, the Bill Cosbys, the, the major, major cases to be taken seriously. And you want these other smaller things to be addressed, but not to the level of severity. The culture needs to change, obviously, but if we, like you were saying, treat everything blanket, it's, it's just going to, in my opinion, is just going to harm the move, a very important movement overall. Well, you know, when I said I, I promised myself I'd be careful, I was going to say the boy who cried wolf, that those were the words I was going to use. But even those words, you know, someone could, could misconstrue those words. As being dismissive. And that's not As the point. Dismissive. Yeah. And, and that's why I held back. And I'm not the type to hold back at all. Right. You uh, for a short time. But it's, you know, again, that goes back to cancel culture, I think, in a, in, a, in a sense. And it's unfortunate that we have to so be so politically correct and careful these days uh, about sharing our opinions. And again, getting back to what we started with, with the COVID, it, it's such a shame that everything, and I mean I, almost everything, has to be political, and it shouldn't. We really, there are so many issues that we're really, I think, I think a lot of us agree more than to disagree, but at this point, it's very hard to disagree. Yeah. Well, here's hoping for a better uh, future culturally, politically, and physically as, as things start to open up. Gary Rosen, I know you got to run. Thank you very much. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Matt, good to be with you. Thank you so much, Gary. And everyone, be sure to listen out for that Patrick Duffy episode. It is coming really soon. In fact, it is coming this weekend. We're airing this on a Wednesday. It is coming this weekend. That's it for us today. Remember to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Talk for Two. Instagram, if you like, at Talk for Two Pod. That's T A L K F O R T W O, and then Talk for Two Pod. You can email me at Talk for Two Cast at gmail.com. T A L K F O R T W O C A S T at gmail.com. And of course, make sure to check out talkfor2.com. You can subscribe in iTunes, Stichter, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Signing off, I'm Matt Bailey, reminding everyone out there to keep talking for two. You can hear more show business interviews with the stars at talkfor2.com. <laughs>